Welcome to Village Church Online. Pastor Michael here with you, and uh, I am in my home office. My wife is right behind the camera. She's also our pro presenter, Clicker, and we are happy to bring God's Word to you in the comfort of your homes and family rooms. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 18. We are in a multi-week series on spiritual calling. And really excited to dig into Moses's calling as God intervenes in his life in the burning bush. Now, before we do that, what I want to do is I want to take a couple minutes and I want to spend some time together in training. And first, what I want to do is define the word calling for us. Here's what it is. Calling is any responsibility that God asks you to take on. Any responsibility that God asks you to take on. And the first call that God has on everyone's life is to trust in Jesus Christ. This is it. There is actually no other calling in our life until we place our faith in Jesus Christ. God is asking us to come before him in repentance of our sins and, and to place our faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. This is the most basic foundational thing that God calls everybody to. Now, once you trust in Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit, and then he actually has a ministry calling for every single person who places their faith in Jesus. Now, we've talked about different callings in the past couple weeks. We've talked about big calls and little calls and, and uh, calls where God just interrupts your entire life. Uh, what we want to do is kind of help you break down and think about calling. Like, how do I, as a follower of Christ, really discern whether or not this thing is really a calling from God? Well, there are five factors that come together in this, and I want to share each of these with you. Five factors. Factor number one is when I'm discerning God's call, I want to pay attention to the Spirit of God. Again, we just said that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. Now, you have probably experienced so far in your life uh, a time when the Holy Spirit has been nudging you in a certain direction. Uh, you just sense that there's this thing that you have to do. Uh, now, here's the question. How do I really know it is from God or whether or not I have indigestion? It's a great question. Uh, there was a, one time where I had a conversation with a man, and he told me that he was confident that the Spirit of God was calling him to do something. Uh, the entire conversation and the idea made me really uneasy, and so here's what I said to the guy. I said, what do we do when the Spirit of God inside of me disagrees with the Spirit of God inside of you? And we find is that many people, when they have this sense that the Holy Spirit is pushing them to something, they kind of just stop there and they say, nope, that's it, that's final, God's telling me to do it. But if we really want confirmation, if we really want to discern that something really is a calling from God, there are actually a few other factors that need to come into play. Here's the second factor. Number two is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God speaks to almost every major subject in life. And what you're going to find is that sometimes you're going to have this nudge from God and you think it's the Holy Spirit. And what you're going to find is that, the, is that the Word of God speaks positively about this thing. Now, here's what I have learned. The Word of God will never contradict the Spirit of God. On multiple occasions, I've had men and women come up to me and try to tell me that they feel God is calling them to divorce their spouse. As I listened, there have been a handful of occasions when they really have not met the minimal biblical requirements, that God's word actually doesn't permit them to do this thing. And so here's what I found is that I would tell them, I know that the spirit of God, I know you have this sense, this nudging, 
but the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God, and the Word of God will never contradict the Spirit of God. Well, there's a third factor that comes into play here, and the third factor is the people of God. Um, what I have found is every time the Lord has called me to something, there have been really godly men and women who love the Lord, love me, pray for me in this thing, and really affirm that the that the, the thing that I'm sensing is a calling from God or the direction that I'm really sensing he wants me to go, uh, they come around and they really affirm this. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Almost every single time I have sensed the Lord moving myself or village church to something significant, there have always been naysayers. I'll give you one example. In 2010, I had just become lead pastor at village church, and I had this profound sense that God wanted us to move to start community groups in our church. And Village Church had really amazing um, Bible studies all throughout the church, but we just had the sense that we really needed to come together and create sermon-based community groups to bind our church together, to give new people opportunities to connect and to grow. And, and uh, one man came up to me and he said, Michael, um, I think what you're trying to do, it, it's probably a good idea, but it's going to fail miserably and you're going to lose your leadership in the process. He said, I cannot stress enough, don't don't do this. I had another man, a really godly man, come up to me and say, Michael, I think this might be one of the most important things you've done yet in our church. Press on, lean into it. Uh, when we got our leaders together in the church, all the leaders said, this is a good and right direction for us to move. And what I learned is that with every single calling that God has, there's almost always someone in your life who's going to discourage you and try to talk you out of it. Their intentions might even be good. What I'm really looking for is, what do the majority of people in my life say who love God, love me, and have spent some time thinking and praying earnestly over it? Number four is, the fourth factor is the authority that God has placed over you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, there's a couple things I know about you. Number one is that God has called you to a local church to be under the authority of elders, everybody, myself included. I might be an elder, but I'm under the authority of the elders of the village church. If you are a student or a child, you have another layer of authority, which is your mom and your dad. Everyone on the planet is a man, a woman, student, or child who is under authority. And if you have this sense that God is calling you to something and the word of God is affirming it, and, and there are people in your life that are affirming it, but your leaders, your spiritual authority say no, or not yet, take a serious pause in that moment. They are here for your protection because we love you and we want the best for you. Now sometimes, one through four, they all come together. And when one, two, three, and four, when the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God, and the authority that God has placed over you come together, this is a really special moment. And the fifth factor is simply this, open doors. Uh, I want to give you an illustration of what this might look like. I want you to imagine that you are called to be a missionary. The Spirit of God has put this burden on you for a specific country overseas. You want to see them come to know Jesus. You want to bring the gospel to them. It's a good thing. And the Word of God affirms this, that the, to bring the gospel to the nations is a really good thing. And then what you find is that the people of God in your life are affirming. They're saying, yeah, we see this calling of God on your life. And then you bring it to your spiritual authorities, and they say, yes. We see this, except you're right in the middle of a coronavirus outbreak globally and you can't get on a single plane anywhere in the world. That's a closed door. 
And so sometimes all four of these things come together, but then there just seem to be circumstances that don't permit us to get there. Now, why would God even do this? Well, here's what I've learned. Sometimes closed doors are really God's way of just saying this. Get on your face and pray. Uh, that's God's way of also saying uh, all throughout your life, there are going to be multiple things that won't happen unless God does it. And so sometimes you run into a closed door and that's just God's way of saying, I'll open it when you pray so that you never forget who ultimately is doing the calling and who's doing the working. It's a really powerful thing. Sometimes the doors are closed and that's just God's way of saying, not yet. We're not ready for this yet. In time, when you get one through four and then you get number five, it's a powerful clarification. It's a great discernment that God is calling you to move forward to this next season. And I think in this context, as we now go back to the book of Exodus chapter four, uh, I wanna just use this rubric as we think about God's calling in Moses's life. So let's set up some context, Exodus chapter four. Here's what's happening. Moses is in the wilderness. He's about 80 years old. Uh, when he was around 40 years old, he fled Egypt, landed in Midian. He found a guy named Jethro, lived with him, married his daughter. And so for 40 years, Moses has been away from Egypt. He's been shepherding. Uh, so now Moses, about 80 years old, takes a trip out to Midian. It's about a two-week journey. And he's at this place called the Mountain of God, also called Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. You may have heard of that. And so he's over there at Mount Horeb, and here's what happens. Jesus himself, the angel of the Lord, shows up in the form of a burning bush and calls Moses to an unbelievably painful and difficult calling. He tells him, basically, I want you to go back to the place of your greatest failure, the place of your greatest regret, the place of your greatest sadness, the place of your greatest loss, to the family and the people that you left in slavery. Remember, it's been 40 years since Moses has seen his mom, his dad, his older sister Miriam, and his older brother Aaron. So God shows up and says, Moses, I have a call in your life. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to free my people from Egypt's tyranny and slavery. And wouldn't you believe it, the last couple messages we've been talking about, Moses just gave God such a hard time. He gave him every excuse in the book. And actually, by the time you read through Exodus chapter 2 and 3 and the beginning of 4, you're just like, Moses, stop it. Follow the Lord. And what's happening is Moses is actually just starting to personally get to know the God of Israel, Yahweh. And as he gets to know them, know him, he realizes like God's really serious about this call. So we pick this story up in, in the book of Exodus chapter 4 and verse 18, and, and Moses is about to get a crash course in calling. In fact, you may not know this, but Moses wrote the book of Exodus. So Moses is actually telling us the story of his calling. And we're going to learn, learn really four very important realities from Moses about calling. And here's the first one. When you are called, expect clarity. When you are called, Expect clarity. Let's look at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Now, here's what I want to say. When God calls you to action, almost every time it's going to be clear. I want you to imagine that you're Moses and you leave Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, God's told you 
to take your wife and your kids and want you to go to Egypt where it's very plausible they're going to kill them because they want to kill you. And, and so now you go back and you have to get your father-in-law's permission to take his daughter and his grandsons and to take them to a land where the people want you dead. What do you think they're going to say? Uh, this is what Moses probably thought would be a closed door. And so here's what happens. The Lord is going to open every door for Moses. Here's what he says. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says to Moses, go in peace. This is not what you would expect from him in this moment. Let's look at verse 19. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, so now he's back in Midian, he's gotten permission to go, and he's got more excuses. You can just kind of hear like Moses' excuses to the Lord, but, but God, you don't understand everybody back in Egypt. They want to kill me. I can't go back there. I can't bring my wife and my kids. And so God shows up to Moses again. He says this, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. All the roadblocks that would have stood between you and fulfilling this calling are gone. The authorities in your life, they've said it's okay. The spirit of God, the word of God, they've all said it's okay. And I can imagine that in this moment, Moses is probably like, but what about my wife and my kids? And look what happens. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands. In your calling, when you're called, I want you to expect clarity. If there's an action that God wants you to take, I really believe that he's going to make that clear to you. Here's the second thing you're calling. When you are called, expect obstacles. Let me, let me say it like this. I want to put this on the screen so you, so you see this. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean it isn't from God. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean it isn't from God. In fact, personally, I have found that almost everything God has asked me to do and called me toward has been filled with profound difficulty. This is just kind of how the Lord works. In fact, the most oft-repeated promise in Scripture is, I will be with you. Let me just say it this way. Whenever God says, I will be with you, that is code for what I'm about to ask you to do is going to be impossibly difficult and probably really painful. But I'm telling you, it is always worth following the call of God, no matter how difficult it might be. Let's watch this unfold. Verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. Remember the staff, you drop it, it turns to a snake, other stuff, leper's hands, really cool stuff. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Okay, if I'm Moses, I'm just a bit irritated with God right now. So God, you're telling me to go do something, but then you're going to actually get in my way, harden Pharaoh's heart, and stop this entire process from happening. So if you're going to just make it impossible, why are you even asking me to go in the first place? Verse 22 goes on. He says this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, who already has a hard heart, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Let me translate for you what this means. Pharaoh, this is personal to me, what you have done to my people Israel. Basically what's happening is that God, Yahweh, is picking a fight with Pharaoh himself and saying, you have messed with my children. All I know is this. You can call me all the names you want. 
don't mess with my kids. And God is, God is upset, and God's now going to actually move to action. And so he says this, And I say to you, God's message to Pharaoh through Moses goes on, Let my son, Israel, go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Uh, in ministry, what I've learned is obstacles come from all over the place. Obstacles come from people I love. Obstacles come from people who love me. Obstacles come from people who hate me. Obstacles come from just circumstances in general that clearly God is in control of and he could stop, but he doesn't. Sometimes, sometimes, this is the hard part, sometimes the obstacles come from God himself. I think it's a really fair question. If I were you, I would be asking, why would God put obstacles in my way that stand between me and the very thing he himself has called me to? I'll just give you two reasons. Number one, whenever you hit an obstacle, get on your face and pray. Because very probably God put that obstacle in front of you so that he could remind you that he is the one who is going to accomplish your calling at the end of the day. Here's the second reason. I think God maybe put an obstacle in front of you to remind you that it's him who gets all the glory. Whatever God is about to do or will do or has done through your calling, he demands that he gets all the glory. And God will probably structure the pathway to your calling in such a way where he gets all the glory so that you, deep down in your heart of hearts, you know that you didn't do this. I can't tell you how frustrated God must be at all the men and the women who take credit for the very things that God himself did, for things that would have been utterly and totally impossible unless God himself did it. And so one of the beautiful things I found about God is sometimes he allows difficulty just to remind me, to keep me humble, that everything good that happens is ultimately from him. All right, number three, when we talk about your calling, when you are called, expect Exposure. Look at verse 24. This, I'm going to just give you a little warning, actually. This is one of the weirder parts of the Bible. Uh, and just stick with me because it's actually pretty amazing. Now, remember what happened right before this. The very first before this was God threatening to kill the firstborn son of Pharaoh. Now, here's, here's what happens. Moses is on his way to Egypt. It says, at a lodging place. On the way, the Lord met him. Now, this is a little confusing grammatically, but I want, to, I want to show this to you. Him is Moses' son. And sought to put him, Moses' son, I wrote this in there for you, to death. Wait a minute. Why, on God's green earth, would God enter in here, the Lord, Yahweh, God himself, Jesus Christ in the flesh, why would he on the way to Egypt, seek to kill Moses' son. I mean, Moses is the called one. Moses is going to be the leader of Israel. Moses is going to write the first five books of the Old Testament. Like, what is God doing? Why is this happening? And let me just give you the short answer. Moses did not, would not, we don't know why, circumcise his son. Now, the rite of circumcision went all the way back to Abraham, way before Moses. Moses understood how important circumcision was. 
uh, circumcision, uh, you did this to your children to say, uh, these children are part of the covenant people of God and identified um, all of the men with Yahweh himself. And so there's something in Moses, and you see this all throughout his interactions with God, where, to be quite honest, Moses just isn't quite all in. It's a little frustrating to watch how just uh, resistant he is to God. And so now he's even on his way to Egypt, and he's still this incredibly, profoundly important uh, uh, act to God of circumcision. Moses is still hesitant. Now it appears, uh, we're reading a little bit between the lines, we're looking at the white spaces here, but it appears that as Jesus Christ, as the angel of the Lord, as God himself came down and seeks to kill Moses' son, before he does it, he gives Moses the option to circumcise him. But what's interesting is we're going to see here is that Moses doesn't do anything. Moses doesn't circumcise his son. In fact, his wife Zipporah comes into the picture. Look what happens in verse 25. Then Zipporah, not Moses, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and then touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. I want to just be really straight with you in case you can't see this. Zipporah is really unhappy with Moses. Here's my surmising. The two of them have had multiple conversations about how essential it is for Moses to circumcise their son. Because if they're really going to follow Yahweh, then they need to be all in. And there was just something about Moses that he would not do this. And so God comes to Moses and says, listen, I am literally sending you to Egypt where I am telling you to threaten Pharaoh's firstborn son if he doesn't obey. And I want you to understand something, Moses. I will do the same thing to you. Now, I want to just get a little personal here. I have preached a lot of sermons. And let me break every sermon I've ever given into two categories. There are those sermons that I've never quite experienced. And those are good. I mean, no preacher has ever personally experienced every single sermon he's ever preached. There are those sermons that I have never preached. I know about them th theoretically and I can open up God's word and see what he says. And then there are the sermons that I've lived. Those are the ones that are probably the most powerful to me. Uh, you preach those sermons in a very different way. Um, what God is doing right now is giving Moses power behind the sermon that he's going to have to preach to Pharaoh. When Moses looks at Pharaoh and he says, let my people go, otherwise God's going to take your firstborn son, this isn't a weak threat. This is a threat that Moses knows God is very, very serious about. Now, I am very grateful for Zipporah in this moment. I am so grateful that she stepped in and she obeyed even when her husband, husband wouldn't. But here's what we find. On the pathway to your calling, uh, God has a tendency just to expose us. Sometimes it's really good. Uh, there are things you never even knew you were capable of. There are great things inside of you that there's boldness and courage and wisdom that you had no idea were inside of you. And you're going to be finding yourself in circumstances where you find yourself getting wisdom and insight. And you're like, I didn't even know like, I could be that clear or helpful or powerful. And again, God wants you to know that's all from him. And then there are times on the pathway to your calling when the ugliness of your heart comes out. Maybe your half-heartedness, maybe your deception. And these are the moments where just understanding that as you follow God, God is, is as concerned with the destination as he is with you in the process. Remember that the calling is not just about you getting something done for God. It is about you and your heart 
and your God and your relationship with him. And that's what's going on here with Moses. God loves him. So here's what happens in verse 26. So he, God, let him, Moses' son, alone. And it was then that she said, again, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. You know those big mistakes that husbands and wives make and their spouse brings it up over and over again for the rest of their life? I have a hunch that this is that one. Let me share with you like this. is you follow God's calling, your heart will be exposed. I just want to encourage you. That's okay. The gospel already declares to you that you're a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. I have never, ever worked with a perfect man or woman. The godliest men and women I know fall short of God's glory. This is what the gospel tells us. And when you, on your pathway to your calling, when it is revealed not just to you, but to others around you, that you're not perfect, it's okay. This is why we have the shed blood of Jesus Christ, whose blood was poured for our sins, for our forgiveness, for our cleansing, for our reconciliation. What I found in those circumstances is the best pathway out is to repent and to apologize and to keep on toward the direction and the calling that God is leading you. All right, number four. When you are called, expect provision. Verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Let's just pause. Where is Aaron? Aaron is in Egypt. Where's Moses? Moses is in Midian. They are very far away from each other. Moses is getting a calling from God. And Moses has no idea that behind the scenes, God is also working to provide for him provision and resources and support. More than a friend, his actual brother, who shares with him unconditional love and their lives are bound to each other through blood and through family. What God was going to call Moses to is going to be unbelievably excruciating and painful and difficult and many other things. And so God didn't just abandon, abandon him. He actually provided for him his very own flesh and blood, his brother. In fact, we see the graciousness and the goodness of God in this. So the Lord, while Aaron's in Egypt, he says to him, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And Aaron has to be so, I think, excited in this moment because he has not seen his brother in how many years? Forty years. Forty years. Of course, so he went. My question when I'm reading this is, if Aaron's a slave, how did he get out? Again, when the Lord calls you to something, he's going to open up all the doors and make it possible for you. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God, that's Mount Horeb, and I love this. And he kissed him. This is a a picture of two brothers reunited after 40 years of being separated. You see these moments all throughout the book of Genesis where brothers are at odds with each other, but every once in a while you have these moments like with Joseph and his brothers where where Jacob and Esau were toward the end of their lives. They have these moments of reconciliation and they've been separated for years and God finally brings them together. It's beautiful. This is another one of these stories where God brings two estranged brothers back to each other. Verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he commanded him to do. I just encourage you. You have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes to support you and to prepare for you for whatever calling he has called you into. I am, I am so struck. Um, my wife and I were talking before we recorded this message, and, 
and uh, I'd asked her about um, different ways that God has called us, uh, small ways, big ways, callings in our life, and, and a few examples came up. And, and as we were thinking about these examples, I was actually really struck because every time we have sensed God's calling in a direction, by the time we get there, we realize how much God was already doing behind the scenes that we had no idea about. And I'm just reminded that when the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God, the authorities that God's put in our life, and, and the doors that are open before us, when all of these things come together, that God is working behind the scenes. And Moses had no idea that God was preparing Aaron to meet him in the wilderness so that they could go face Pharaoh together. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron, they went, I love it, like fast forward, you know, also there in Egypt, here we go. They went and they gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke, remember Moses somehow felt like his speech wasn't powerful enough, so God said, I'll have your brother speak for you. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Okay, you're Moses. It's been 40 years since you abandoned the people of Israel. You were a prince of Egypt. You did have authority. You had influence where, in theory, you could have been a part of the preservation of the people of Israel. You abandoned them. What do you think their response is going to be to you? Do you think they're going to receive you? Do you think they're going to reject you? Guarantee you that Moses and his insecurity had very little confidence that the people of Israel would respond the way they did. Look what happens. And the people believed. The people believed. I want you to catch the way this is worded. This is really important. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that's through Aaron and Moses, and heard all these words, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. It's interesting what happens. Moses and Aaron come and they do the miracles and, and they believe. What made them believe? Uh, it's interesting. The text doesn't imply that it was the miracles. The text implies that they believed when they heard that God saw their affliction and he saw them and what they were going through. There was something about being seen by God that brought them to belief and to worship in the midst of their pain and slavery and heartache and unmet expectations and more. I'm thinking about just the season that we're in. Uh, as I record this, the coronavirus is all over the world. Many people have died. Many people are sick. People in our community have gotten this. And many of us are, quote, unquote, quarantined in our house. And I just think to myself, um, what so many people in their loneliness right now want to know is that they're seen, that they're cared for. It's been interesting. Um, at Village Church, um, you guys, myself, my wife, others, we have made tons and tons of phone calls to people that we have been concerned maybe um, aren't being followed up with or loved well or maybe don't have a community around them or maybe they're uh, really vulnerable and they are not able to have people enter into their life and it's been amazing the response from people when they are seen and remembered and noticed it there's something breaking about it actually 
And we don't do these things for any other reason but, than to, but to love them. And it's striking that when people are actually seen for who they are, it's a powerful thing. And, and, and conversely, when we're misunderstood, it kind of just drives us nuts. But like when we are truly, truly understood, especially in our loneliness and our pain and our struggles, there's something powerful about this. Uh, nobody can believe in Jesus until they hear the gospel. But right now, I think the power of the gospel is amplified by our ability to see and to hear, to pay attention to and engage the people of our lives right now who are the most vulnerable. This is one of those most redeeming times. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to close with two so what's. And I want to take this theme a little further. And what I want to do is I want to apply this to our lives right now. Uh, we talked a lot about big calling, right? Um, really, at the end of the day, a calling is anything that God is asking you to do. So what I want to do actually is say, you know what? We can talk about the big calling of God on our life anytime. I want to talk about what I know that I know about the calling of God on our lives right now. Here are the simple things. So what, number one? God is calling each of us to redeem this moment in world history for him. I want to give you three ways we do this. Three C's make it real easy. Number one, we care for the least. You know exactly in this season who the least are in your life. And for many of them, we can't actually go hug them and touch them and, and shake their hands and feed them food right now. But there are really tangible, practical things that we can do to care for the least. If you are just stuck and you don't know how to do it, go to our website, vcob.org. Look at BCCI, Bartlett Community Care Initiative. Uh, go to Share the Care. And there are so many tangible ways that we can help you serve people. Honestly, I think for most people, you don't even need that. I think you know one or two ways that you can just really truly in this vulnerable time love those who are the least who are the most vulnerable and the most susceptible here's the second one call the lonely call the lonely there are people right now the spirit of god i am confident as i'm preaching this sermon as you're hearing it on your screens i am confident that there is one or two people that are coming up that all you have to do is pick up the phone and call them and see them listen to them engage in their story and you never know what god is up to in fact you, you have no idea that the Spirit of God may put somebody on your heart and your mind, and before that, he may be. He may be preparing them already to hear what you have to say to them. Here's the third C. Cultivate your personal relationship with God. All of your rhythms, all of our rhythms, everything that we know is normal has been messed up. I am preaching at home. Nothing is normal about this. Take this time and cultivate your personal relationship with God prioritize the word of God and Bible study and serving and, and engage again. Maybe some of you have never ever engaged in a local church. Find one near you. And when all this crazy is said and done, jump into that local church and love and serve and grow spiritually. This is the time. This is the time to create new rhythms in our life and pursue a relationship with God. Here's our second so what. God's first call on every life is to trust in Jesus. I want to end where we began. There is no other calling that is more important than this. The first thing that God asks every human being alive to do is this. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in him who died on the cross for your sins in your place. There's this great American lie that is all over the place. And the lie goes like this. Good people go to heaven. If you've been a part of Village Church, you hear me say this all the time. Good people don't go to heaven. That's actually nowhere in the Bible. 
In fact, the Bible frames this differently. The Bible would, would probably say it like this. The people who we consider good, good people, the Bible says that good people actually go to hell. It's, it's forgiven people who go to heaven. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God loves us so much. He knows you, he sees you, he hears you, he loves you, and he's offering you deliverance from something way more sinister and dark than slavery in Egypt. He is offering you deliverance from your sin, from hell, and from death, and power over the evil one in this world, and power over sin. He's offering all this to you, not by your good works, but through Jesus, faith in Jesus, who is good for you. And so if you're here today and you're listening to this, and you were just sensing uh, you need to place your faith in Jesus, I want to affirm you, yes, God is calling you today to place your faith in Christ. If that's a decision you want to make today, you can just pray to God. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins. And there's no magical formula. Uh, God forgives the sins of anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ. And then he gives you his Holy Spirit. And then he gives you the word of God, pour into it. And the people of God, the church, find one. Uh, if that's a decision you want to make today, I want to encourage you to go to our website, vcob.org, and follow up with us. We would love to celebrate with you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to resource you. We'd love to connect you. I don't care what state or country you're coming from, follow up with us, and we would love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God. Village Church, for the rest of us, this is our time. This is our time to lean into maybe not the big calling of God. Everything seems to be kind of put on hold in that level to a degree, but it is our time to lean into the things that we know God is calling us to do. Trust in Christ. Care for the least. Make a phone call. This is, this is, this is our time. So Village Church, I want to just say I'm so proud of you uh, and this season, the way you've stepped up, the way you've loved, you've cared, keep it up. Uh, this is a time where um, our true hearts have been shown and I've never been more proud to be your pastor. I uh, love you. I want to say on behalf of my wife, my family, our elders, my dog who's sitting at my feet, uh, wondering if he's going to bark in the middle of this. We love you. We pray for you and keep it up. We're so proud of you. You will never, ever, ever regret following Jesus no matter where he calls you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to just say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Um, thank you for technology. Thank you for uh, your call in our life. Your call to trust in you where you forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sins and you give us your spirit and your word and your people. And God, I want to thank you that it doesn't just stop there, but you actually call us to ministry. You call us to love the people in our lives. You call us to serve. And uh, Lord, I'm just so grateful for this. And I pray for a village church in the season right now. God, I pray that you would continue to empower and to equip us and to show us exactly what you want us to do, how we can love our family, our neighbors, our community in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, as I know behind the scenes, you are working in people's lives. I pray you would just give us the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, show us people who we can love. Allow us, give us the eyes to see them and to hear them. Give us your heart for them. And so, Lord, we commit all of our efforts to you, and we just pray that you continue to make each one of us more like Christ so that we can bring you glory, grow our love and our unity and our commitment to the mission in this season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Village Church.